All right, party people out there in podcast land, it's Lenise Martin, your host again for High and Mighty, a podcast for your political pothead friend. We're joined today by Richard Ng, and he's with The Cookies and Backbone. Glad to have you with us today, Richard. Lenise, uh, aloha my kako. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Um, extremely happy that you all started this because I feel like the Hood Incubator is an amazing community, and now you have an additional channel to get out all the amazing work you're doing, um, but also to have all the leaders in your network just come on here and sort of express and share their story. So thank you for having me on here. Um, like you mentioned, I work for a couple organizations. Um, I work with uh, Cookie Social Impact on special projects. Um, uh, shout out to Cookie Social Impact. And then also um, I'm uh, in charge of community innovation and social impact at Backbone. Um, and Backbone is a supply chain management and visualization SaaS provider. And we're just seeing how we can tap into the global supply chain and use that for um, social good especially around cannabis justice as well, too. Uh, so again, appreciate the opportunity, Lenise. Um, obviously, huge advocate for the Hood Incubator and all the work that you're doing. Um, but especially for you specifically, I've seen you grow as an amazing leader in this space. So it's just, it's awesome to be here with you today. Yes, yes, yes. And so when, when I was talking with my team and we're all like, oh, you know, how do we uh, make sure the folks out there know who the hood incubator is and, and, and what we do and who we do it for and why we do it and all that. Um, they were like, well, we've, we've got to tell a story of the hood incubator through the people of the hood incubator. You know, we don't want to tell people we want to, we don't want to show people or something. One of them, we don't want to tell people we want to show people. Um, and, uh, okay. Okay. So instead of, you know, writing a bunch of stuff and saying, this is what we do. It's like, well, you know, uh, your January uh, of 2022 makes us uh, five years uh, uh, strong since we launched. And Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. So within those five years, we've had enough people in the community to come through and be able to share their story. And as you might remember, um, our story started uh, before we were at, you were officially with either Cat Cookies or Backbone. Um, and it might even be before um, Hood Incubator was actually called the Hood Incubator, but I'm not sure. I just know that um, we met way back in the beginning of, 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 of my cannabis justice organizing, and we were on a panel in the cold outside. They couldn't even afford four walls to put us in. We were just out. They gave us a blanket or something. That was, they were like, that was cold. That was yeah, cold. That, that's amazing that you brought that up. And that's actually really interesting because my first interaction with the hood incubator, first off, um, it was, yeah, it was definitely before I was with the two organizations I'm with now. Um, and I was actually doing work in Washington um, as a, a medical marijuana operator, a producer processor, right? Okay. Um, and I was living in the Bay at the time, but I was going back and forth between Washington and the Bay Area. And one of our um, mutual colleagues, the, the Justice Collective, um, Ellie Tumbuan, um, she knew that I was working on cannabis and she's like, have you connected with the Hood Incubator yet? I'm like, tell me more about this amazing organization that the name is just, the Hood Incubator is just so impactful. Once you hear it, you're like, yo, tell me more, right? <laughs> so she said, you gotta check them out. They are gonna be the future of the cannabis space and community. I was like, 
how do I not know oh, about? She said that. Sorry, oh, yeah. No, this is yo. This is this is oh, this shit. is amazing, Lenny. So even at the very beginning, you know, there was so much buzz around what you're all doing because um, we had Colorado and Washington online, and these more mature markets they weren't addressing the community, right? They weren't including the community as part of their legal framework. So just the the concept of what you're all doing was so amazing and just so necessary. Um, so I, I checked you all out and then I went to a couple of events. Um, the, obviously the first pitch event, which was at Oak stop in the basement. Um, I think, I believe you had Jesse Horton speaking at that. Yes. One, right. Yes. It was great. And it, you know, it was, that was exactly what I think the industry needed. And that was a huge autonomous moment, not just for California, but for like this national economy because the hood and keeper has told you, you all planted the flag and it was like yo the community is going to be a part of this whether y'all like it or not and just being in that room with other entrepreneurs who are pitching their ideas but you all just providing that space it was so amazing because being in washington and working in that industry for 10 plus years none of that existed so i was like okay Whatever this organization, the Hood Incubator is doing, I'm fully on board with, you know, I wrapped with you a little bit, got a sense of the vision. And it just was, I was just like, so interested to see how y'all will grow. And it's interesting to see that we're going to be celebrating your five-year anniversary, right? You said. Exactly. And to see what y'all have done, because as this industry has scaled, y'all have stuck to the values and exactly what y'all promised keeping the community first and even the future of the hood incubator. So right? we don't have no job openings, Richard, you know, <laughs> you, know you, you, you stop at all these compliments. Okay. No, 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 but it was dope. Yeah. And then, you know, like, and then, yeah, we were being involved in like, you know, um, we were working on the panel. So that was my first like introduction to the hood incubator. It was always, it was definitely people focused, but justice focused. And you could take cannabis out of the conversation you all would be a justice-based organization, right? Regardless, but obviously we're working in the context of cannabis. So um, definitely cannabis justice organization. That's how I perceive y'all. That's how I've known you from the very beginning. Um, and y'all aren't deviating from that. And that's amazing to think of. in this industry, you can have an organization that is so committed and just stick with that and just enhance. So um, yeah, that's my perception of, of the hood and bigger. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see y'all grow. Thank you. Uh, and I know you have a background in in public education. Can you share a little bit about your, your background in public education? Yeah. And um, that's that's interesting because, you know, I feel like and I know even for you, Lisa, you've been in like community organi- organizing and, you know, you've, you've done so much. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like not everyone has like a linear path to get to the cannabis space. So my journey, I was working in public education. Um, I, I, I wanted to be a city manager, and, and we were talking about this before, Lenise, right? So I got my master's in nonprofit and local government management. I got my master's in public administration. Um, I ended up uh, sticking in, in, with public education, and um, I worked for the Berkeley Unified School District after I graduated from grad school. Um, and my whole role was around community engagement. I was placed at the high school. Um, and for those of y'all who are listening out there, uh, Berkeley Unified School District is a tiny district, but in terms of its high school, it has just one high school. So you have 4,500 students at the high school. So it's kind of like a small school district in itself. So I was placed there and my whole purpose was to help um, families navigate 
the basically the bureaucracy, right? How do you navigate different um, areas in a school district to get the crucial resources that you need? Um, also worked with key stakeholders like um, Berkeley Police Department, um, the mayor's office, the UC, UC University of California, the UC system. And I, I was just seeing how we could mobilize resources to get to the families that needed the most, the students and the families that needed the most. And um, that was really my first exposure to like social equity, right? Um, the principal at the time, um, Jim Slemp, who I worked with, he was sort of like my first mentor around this. And he was so focused on people. He was so empathetic. And everything that we did as we created policies, they always had to be designed around the student first, right? Especially the most underserved students. Um, so this concept of social equity, it really, especially in local government, because when I was becoming on my path to become the bureaucrat, right? The city manager. Um, I definitely wanted to focus on how services were provided um, efficiently, but also effectively, because I think that's a criticism of government, right? It's inefficient and, and not everyone gets all the resources. So when in the school district, I was in an environment where we were able to create policy efficiently, but also take into consideration the larger community. And that is so important because that foundation is that sticks with me today in all the work I do in the cannabis space. Everything that I think about and, you know, doing com like putting the community first or the center of all the work that I do, it all started at Berkeley Unified School District because the work that we're doing here. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later, Lenny, it's like, this is just the, the large, it's a, it's an access point to the larger conversation of what's going on in society. Right. So, yeah. So shout out to Berkeley Unified School District and, Jim Slemp, rest in peace, he passed away um, last year, um, but for giving me that exposure. He was an amazing leader, and definitely that's where um, my first exposure and work in social equity um, took place. Thank you for sharing uh, about that and the, the, the social equity aspect of, of, of public education and your path for the, 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 the to be a bureaucrat. I, I wouldn't have guessed it. I'm glad you pivoted, and, and cannabis got you uh, from that. Public education, I, I, I would have been a, a little bit okay. I, would, okay. I can see that. I can see that. One of the things, in my opinion, that, uh, well, not in my opinion, it's fact. One of the things that happened with the drug war um, was that it, we had that pass that policy as a national agenda um, uh, to, to criminalize drug users was uh, that we needed to be able to now enforce it. And so... Yeah, you, know, you had to you had to make a budget to enforce. You had to have budgets in uh, your 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 police system, your judicial system, and your correctional system. You had to have the budget. You're gonna have more judges that need to rule, more defenders that need to defend, prosecutors that need to prosecute, right. police that need to pull over, whatever it is. You know, like everything needs to happen. And they didn't quite frankly like jump the GDP up. Um, so you either make more money or you save money. Uh, saving money is taking money from a different part of money. And we know that in black and brown communities, the solution was often to take the money to pay for the enforcement yep. uh, from, our, from, our, from our schools and yep. other community programs. And so when I think about public education, and the dollars that we know that were diverted from our public education to pay for the enforcement of the drug war. And then I, I think, well, first off, I think that's messed up. 
Right. And I know that's, and, and I know those budgets have not been adjusted. We've legalized cannabis or we've regulated adult use cannabis, but we haven't adjusted those budgets back to pre criminalizing uh, drug users. So there, there's that. Yes. Hundred percent. But but then when you're talking, you were talking about uh, the Oaksop uh, uh, pitch uh, day, and so I'm like, okay, you're you're, you're you know, like, for me, you know, I don't know. Like, I I I I consider myself a lifelong student. You know, I don't have a master's in education or anything like that. I I, I don't have a background in public education, but I do feel or it happened. You know, nonlinear our path, our careers. It so happened to have ended up. Um, getting a skill set in uh popular adult education uh uh and so uh basically meaning training adults yes. um and 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 figuring out how to do that and so the accelerator you know is something that and i put it to, you know you put it together you know um it was just me and my co-founder um, shout out to Seth Horning, um and we we put it together. We felt like we had a response. We wanted to disrupt what we saw was going to be happening, which was the folks that were already doing it that that um, were harmed by the drug war. You know, we're, weren't going to be able to, to see it through. So we're like, Abele um, and myself, having studied business in, in grad school, we were like, well, this is the community work that we can do with our business education. You know, like we can. Right. We can um, basically like we can translate the the business education um, and, and strip it down and make you know a people's MBA. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff in there that we you know was all the you know stuff that was giving us anxiety and making us feel uncomfortable. Get rid of all that. Focus on the stuff that we knew was actually useful. Put that into an accelerator. Yada yada. That was our idea. Yep. Um, and so. I, it's just hard, not hard. It's just interesting to think about um, that we put together an educational program uh, for a group of people that I've been titled survivors of the drug war, who therefore it's a high chance, you know, they've gone through some not so great public education institutions, not well funded. Um, and so whether it's the hood incubator the jurisdiction you live in or a private company, I start to get to thinking, you know, how far can our accelerators move the issue when to do an accelerator, you're going to want someone to know how to like use the computer. Well, they didn't even have, um, computers in the public, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I was paused yeah. there. As, as, as an educator, um, what do you think about these Band-Aid programs like the pro, like the very successful Business Accelerator at the Hood Incubator bringing it back? What I'm saying is we will always have to have an ex- Business Accelerator if we don't fix the, the spending, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, am I here as a non- you say nonprofits, are we supposed to be here to keep putting out a, a, a program every year? Or are we supposed to be here to not put out a program every year? Yeah, no, that that's interesting. And to frame it around like education, because like, I think when we think about it, public education hasn't changed since like 20s, right? It's the same structure. Students are in a classroom um, learning for eight hours a day. They're usually fatigued. Curriculums haven't really changed too in, in some school districts. Um, 
a lot of the funding, like you talked about, um, it's based off of tax property. So you already have an inequity in learning already. You're going to have students in certain parts of a city who are getting more resources just by, you know, socioeconomic policies. And that alone is, um, that's a big problem in itself. But as we talk about public education and sort of what is the role of, you know, like an organization like the Hood Incubator and providing an additional educational resource. I think for everything, and even when we talk about just like social equity in general, right? It's such a complex issue, public education, public health, right? Housing. If we're thinking about like the emerging cannabis industry, like what does slavery look like in a global cannabis space, right? These are complex issues, but I think we have to embrace sort of the complexity around all this. And then by that, there's going to emerge complex solutions, right? Sort of like these collective impact models and these ecosystems that are going to emerge. And we're seeing it already in the cannabis space, right? Especially around our social equity communities. Um, it's so important to have an organization like the Hood Incubator, who is providing additional resources, because you're going to have to take partnerships with nonprofits, private entities, government programs, government agencies and work together. Like that is the solution. That is that collective impact model. That's crucial for not, again, you know, we're talking about cannabis because this is where we operate, but for almost any social issue, that's gonna have to be the solution, right? So I, I think the program, like the Cannabis Justice Accelerator is so important because it's not gonna come from the government solution. That's just not in the government's wheelhouse, you know? It's, and that's just like a reality. It's nothing against government. It's just like they are in charge of so many services. But to think about that, like it has to be introduced from an outside stakeholder and then introduced to the government to see like, this is the model. You all should be doing it. And that's sort of like how it is, you know, um, and also to get capacity from the private organizations as well, too. Right. Um, for like cookies and backbone, our community engagement um, framework is we have to listen to the advocates and the leaders in the community. We can't go to a market or a region and say we understand the needs of the community or sort of prescribe what our solution is. No, we have to work with the Hood Incubators. We have to work with you know other organizations like our Academy or Original Equity Group to sort of guide us along that along that path and say these are the needs of the community and this is the way that you all can support. Right. So I think in terms of like y'all providing a, a program that was just a need that had to be done like for that population of of individuals who who weren't going to have the opportunity or their barriers they're facing if y'all didn't do it who else was going to do it then you know and that's like a realistic conversation that we have to have and i know we are having right especially amongst the social equity community we are putting this back on the government and saying like if y'all are developing these programs then who is going to develop it because the advocates will take it on but in our space the advocates are also the brand owners their operators right mm, that's that's that right and it's it, it's it's a lot for the community to take on so again that's where i think private um the private sector has to come and be like we understand what's going on and everything on the community, the mobilizing of resources. And this is where we can come in and, and enhance capacity around all of that. I agree. Yeah. And it, interesting, interesting way to bring that up through education because a big part of all of this is education. It should be education before enforcement at all. 
Yeah, and it's just, exactly. It's just like you know, do you need? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not um, being negative of direct service. You know, we do direct service. We do direct service, and we we work do systemic change work. But at the end of the day, we want to recognize that the direct service work expungements, in the sense of one-off ones, not the expungements where you know it's comprehensive policy change. Um, uh, 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 workforce development, the business accelerators, all these things are needed um, because the survivors of the drug war are not as resourced as 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 their peers and non-drug war survivor peers. And so therefore, um, you know, resources are needed on the back end. Yes. And, and, you know, ultimately, we just want to get to a place where we don't need expungements because people aren't being arrested. Yes. We don't need, yes. um, <laughs> you know, we don't need uh, um, business accelerator because uh, it's a path uh, that's included um, and, and the public dollars that, uh, uh, you know, K through 12 or post-secondary or higher education or whatever, you know, like yep. so the, these, these things we don't need because it's, 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 it's included in it. We already have tax tax dollars, you know, um, that, that are supposed to be being spent on, on something. Um, can we get these tax dollars diverted from being spent on uh, uh, criminalizing drug users? And can we get them b- back to our communities? Yes. Um, and so that's a lot of the, the focus of the work that the hoodie Keeper wants to do, you know, because, you know, we have a bunch of people in the cannabis community who have been doing their thing, showing out, flexing power, going to the ballot box, oh, yeah. winning the, 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 the ability and right to smoke some weed in the street, smoke some weed in their house, right? To go yeah. to the store and buy some weed in some states to go out in their backyard or in their garage and grow some weed. You know, they, they've been probably 38 states, uh, uh, the cannabis community have been flexing their muscle to free the plant. Yep. And we just know at the hood incubator that probably a good significant percentage of those folks who were able to throw down in the fight for freeing the plant, they'll probably have some energy in them to stay the fight to free the person. And so that's why we want to look at the policies that we, we, we look at. So we know, like, we know that we're going to get the cannabis community's attention because, you know, folks are out here trying to get these licenses. Folks are out trying to hear, trying to find out what, who's the best, who's got the best brand uh, of, of, of pre-rolls or of, of concentrates, you know? And so we, we can, you know, meet the community where they're at, help provide that information, help, help support uh, folks be able to go on their journey to sell that weed. And along the way, we're like, well, you know why it's so hard for you to sell this weed, right? Well, you know they passed that law. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Yep. And that's why you went to that school and your sister went to that, that good charter school where she got on the bus and you spread all the town. Yeah. That's why she had to go across town. Yeah. Because your zip code didn't have the money. Yep. Yeah. So what what, what we need, you know, if you want to not be the only person in your family that has money, you don't want everyone asking you for money. You gotta get everyone else money, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. If you, that's <laughs> like the only, the only way. And you mentioned something else um, 
one of the things you we, we, we talk about your past experiences, the nonlinear path that brought you to cannabis. Um, one of the things that we talked about public education, but the other thing you talked about was compassion. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, we, we both just got back from Meadowlands. Yep. Um, oh, shout out to Meadow who yeah, and, and the crew, everything. Uh, yes. And that was a really good, that was a really good experience, uh, as usual. And, um, one of the panels that I got to go to, I don't know if you were able to go to the, the compassion one. Um, but it was, uh, forgive me everyone. I know it was a whole team of people, but he's such a character. He's the name I remember. It was Sweetleaf Joe. Sweetleaf Joe. Yeah. And, and, and their crew. Um, and, and they were, and they were talking about compassion. So one thing that I want, I want to talk about before we, we I ask you my next question is to set the context here is, you know, just the war on drugs in general, you know, if, if you, you a survivor of, of, of the drug war, um, I mean, I don't know the, I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a psychologist or whatever, so I don't know the exact words, but they were talking about how the vets, the our veterans have PTSD because yeah. it's, um, they're saying it was, it had happened. It's past the P. Mm-hmm. Um, but that often, um, people that make up like survivors of the drug war or are live in those communities that we say have been negatively disproportionately impacted by the drug war. Um, we don't have the P it's just, it's just the TSD, I guess. I, I don't know what they put instead of the P cause it's current. It's actively right. going it's on. Yeah. That's interesting. Current. Yeah. Survivors of the drug war, you know, they have the CTSD. Um, and we know that with the adult use cannabis, uh, it was like overnight, uh, prices changed. So for example, like right. I used to go to spot, but I knew like what my, like, I, I, I knew what my, I have a budget because I made a certain amount of money. And I remember like December, 2017, I had a salary and then I had my budget. I allocated monthly for, 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 for cannabis. Then January 8, 2018 happened. And I'll tell you the truth. I, I was not amazing. I did not get a 25% <laughs> or higher uh, raise. My money stayed the same. Many other things stayed the same, including the, I mean, many other things, the prices rate went up, including cannabis, crazy right. amount. So it was like, it was like, let's say I uh, was expecting to spend a hundred dollars a month, which is not true. I, that, that's, that's like one store shopping, right? Let's right, say it was like a hundred dollars right. for the month, right? All of a sudden, I thought I was going to get 10 things. All of a sudden, I thought that same $100 was going to get me like two things. Right. But this is a medicine for me. Whether yeah. or not I'm going to an adult use store or a medical store, I can't, yeah. I, I, I can't walk out with two things. What is two things going to do for me? Yep. Yeah. Um, and we've had this issue for the longest time. They were, they were, they had written legislation, no free samples, no this. And so, you know, the folks who have been, you know, steady working on that compassion. You know, you know, hand clap, hand clap. Um, that's key work because most folks budget didn't change when Prop 64 went into action. Yeah. Um, and so you have all these price changes, you know, these private businesses got to make money, the government got to make money. Um and and all we got was the ability to buy less. Less weed. <laughs> right, right. We used to buy. We got the ability, that's all you got. We got the ability to buy less weed. 
<laughs> right. And it's the same monies. Yeah. It's interesting because now it's like, it's like over the counter, right? That's what it is now. Like for your, yeah, medicine, OTCs. right? Yeah. It's OTC, right. You know, so it's like, um, how, like you mentioned, um, I got started in the space, uh, my family, uh, my father passed away from cancer. My mother-in-law passed away from cancer. Um, uh, my, my homies who I, I started uh, working on the collective with, um, it was called Remedios, but we all grew up in Hawaii together and, and everyone has been um, part of that group. Everyone has, has been touched by cancer. So it was extreme. That was the only reason we were in the space was to provide medicine to patients, right? It was a collective. Like that was the that was the collective that we ran. And that was the whole reason was to provide more access to patients. Um, obviously as the industry grew, it was like we had to adapt to that. And we wanted to sort of be in the industry. So we became producer processors, just focusing on cultivation. But that value system was always part of sort of our group and really drove a lot of the work that we did. Access to medicine, but again, community at the center of all the work that we do. So I think it's important that as we evolve these conversations, especially around cannabis justice, expungement of records, that we have to look at and see like, where does the medical side live in all of this? And especially like the wellness space um, and giving access to medicine to patients. That's, I think that's a big part of all of this too, because um, that was like, a key foundation for this whole movement was the civil rights movements around getting access to medicine. So we can't forget that. It's, and I think this whole conversation that, you know, everything related to like social equity, it's almost like we have to like walk forward looking backwards, right? We have to understand the history behind all of these regressive policies um, to really understand how we can create the solutions for the most positive impact moving forward. And compassion is something we have to definitely address. So, um, in California, there is a strong compassion community. So Sweetleaf Joe, uh, Deer Cannabis, Operation Evac, working with all the the veterans, they're important parts. Black Cannajoy, yeah, Oakland. Black Cannajoy, yeah. Shout out, you know, and there, there's a bunch, right? Uh, Locals Equity Digital, you know, they're supporting all of this. They're part of that supply chain as well, too. Um, and it's important as whatever the next iteration of of federal legalization are on the way there, that compassion and is a big part of this too because we didn't see again in markets like colorado um or other states that had a medical industry that was almost like you know they're like okay we're going to start our cannabis industry but it's going to be medical first but it was just like a placeholder there there was no intention around it really and looking at patients right mm -hmm. um obviously there's you know, a lot to play on like the federal side with the classification of cannabis as well, too, and the lack of research um, and data collected around the medical properties of the plant. But um, I think moving forward, especially around the federal legalization combat um, conversation, like, yeah, compassion has to be an important part. And we can really learn from uh, the Sweet Leaf Collective and everyone um, who's, who's in the compassion supply chain in California, for sure. So... You know, you definitely have a background. Um, it sounds like, you know, before you get into cannabis, just community background. Uh, and yep. so there's the, there's the age old debate, you know, can you be for a community and work for business? <laughs> so I ask you, Mr. Ng, you know, uh, uh, hot question, you're in the hot bed right now. Yeah. Uh, I personally have my opinions. Um, and I, I, I think, uh, well, of course, because 
how else does the inside outside strategy work? Um, I'll, I mean, I mean, I know Hollywood's a lie, but <laughs> don't we all see the movies where it's the person on the inside who finally got fed up with some of the messed up things the way it was working, and maybe they didn't say anything, but they're like, "Hey, I just think you know maybe you should be at this cafe at this time on Tuesday." <laughs> right. Maybe at the show bar. up. Maybe at the show up there. And then, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, then you show up, and you're like, "Oh, you, you, you this is the this is the big reveal." So I'm. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, like um, you need an inside outside strategy because if you don't even know what's going on, if you don't even know what people care about, how can you move it? But also, you know, there's there's the um, there's the folks who feel like you can't work for MSO and, and be a community. So this 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 is like, you know, you're not convincing anyone of anything. But let's say you were convincing someone. Say you ran to your old childhood friend. Yep. And, and they were on that, you know, F multi-state operator stuff and you were catching up and you were just trying to tell them of the good work that you were up to. How would you phrase it to them? Because, you know, some folks, you know, just, ooh. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I would sort of frame it like what we previously talked about. Again, for any future industry or um solution that's going to be community focused we're going to have to have these complex ecosystems and the private sector plays a role in that like that's inevitable it, it is part of that model so whether we like it or not like the private sector is a part of this now the question is how are those private entities or private stakeholders participating in the in the space right are these just vanity programs are we talking actual impact right are we talking about actual um advocacy work or working with the organizations that needed the most um, and to, to get resources to the organizations that needed the most. I think that's where the conversation is. And I would frame it as, especially, well, I guess there's a couple of things. I would frame it as businesses is, is transitioning. Business in general, right? Not just not just the cannabis vertical, but just businesses in general. Um, if, especially if we take into consideration the last year and a half, what we went through, right? Um, there's so much just fragility right now in society that it's, if you are a business owner, especially a larger corporation or a multi-state operator in our context, it is your responsibility as a steward of the community to give back to the community. Like that is, it's almost something, if there was a clearing house for the cannabis space to make sure that all large MSOs who are in the in the industry, you are required to give back to to the community. It's almost like something I, I think that that has to happen. Um, so I would say that this is an opportunity to educate corporations on what it means to really be part of the community, to lead with the community. Um, corporations are going to mess up, right? Again, that's the learning. I think that's why our community engagement framework that we have at Cookies and Backbone is to let the community guide us. Um, but it's important, again, for that ecosystem and for that future solution to really work with the corporations and work alongside the nonprofits, the advocates, um, so that we can understand exactly what needs to take place. Um, again, you know, in my, in my situation, the two organizations I'm, I work with, I'm extremely fortunate that the leadership for both organizations are completely aligned with all of our um, communities. 
um, in terms of understanding that we need to provide resources and the capacity building. Um, but, you know, it's businesses as well, too. So um, I think it's a learning process for everyone involved. So I guess my answer would be yes. Corporations are going to be a part of this equation no matter what. So let's take this opportunity to educate again, like how we're going to educate the government, how we're going to educate, you know, um, all their key stakeholders on the importance of this and what the role is, because really what this is, is mobilizing resources and creating capacity for the, the boots on the ground to really do the work. Who's advocating and who's really having significant change. And I see that's the role of, of um, uh, the private sector in all of this. I'm not sure if I answered that, but. I want to be devil's advocate here. Yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> personally, you know, I, Hood and Gabater, I, I, uh, with the Hood and Gabater, I don't, I don't expect anything from a corporation. Um, at, nor do I feel like there's something special that needs to be happening for, for first and foremost all industries should be inclusive and equitable right and all industries aren't and we can blame that probably all on anti-black racism yep um and we can blame the policy of the drug war of being a major vehicle to to, to fuel that uh, anti-black type of policy. So, so with, with that being said, um, I mean, for the people who wrote the laws, most likely white men. Yes. Yes. Are the people who own a super majority of these the wealth that's being created and the businesses that's, that are being created in the cannabis industry, white men. Yeah. Yes. Are they the same exact white men? And were some of these white men even born at the time of the other white men were doing their thing? No, no. So it, it, it's, it's, it's personally, I think they were trying, they, government people that are actually you know responsible for creating a national agenda called the drug war are responsible for writing the wrongs of the drug war starting with eliminating those 48,000 laws that still exist that create that uh, create a situation where drug war survivors to today even in those 38 states that have adult use cannabis, where they're still second-class citizens, second-class citizens meaning they don't, have, they can't live anywhere, they can't get all, the, they can't get loans, they can't get access to 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 schoolings, you know, like they can't they can't vote, second-class citizen things, you know. Yep. There's 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 a group of people who did that, who happened to be white men. You know, there's another group of people who are cousins and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers with that same group of people who were reaping the benefits of 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 of, of the drug war. But but I, I don't I don't I don't I don't particularly see how um me being upset with Mark, the CEO of Weed R Us <laughs> is going to allow 
I don't see how it's going to restore power. Like, I also I don't understand how if my cousin did get out of jail and he was allowed to sell weed, I also don't know understand how that's going to restore power. None of it is about the plant. It was they never they never create the drug war to because they hated the plant. They hated the drug war because they hated black people and they hated um, those folks who were white and were about that peace stuff. Right. right. So when it came time to ending this 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 national agenda, um all of a sudden it's all about the plant when we always know it was about the people. And so that's that's why I, I don't I don't if, if a cannabis company for me I think it's an invitation it's an invitation to you, cannabis company, to be a part of the solution and, and getting rid of these forty eight thousand laws. And 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 that that are still affecting drug war survivors, you know, it's an opportunity. But I don't think you're responsible because you just benefit. Benefiting is not the same as responsible. Right, right. And and I I think I I see where you're coming from, Lenise. But I would have to say, it's not just an invitation. It's an expectation. It should be the expectation for this industry um, to participate and contribute with whatever resources are available to that corporation. I think that's, it's, it's an expectation that community sets. It's an expectation that history has laid. The I'm going to ask you a question. Yes, please. Would you say that the reason why the tech industry is not diverse is the same reason why the cannabis industry is not diverse? Oh, interesting question. That is a interesting question. And oh, that's interesting because if we look back at tech, it's very like you need a certain skill set, right? Or, or, or there's a perceived skill set you need to participate. And this goes back to like education. Was did everyone have access to computers back in the day so they could all develop the skill set to become an engineer? You know, it was only a certain population that had access to this to these resources and they built the whole tech industry, right? So it was, it was based off a certain population's value system and how they were gonna build out a whole tech industry, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think there are parallels, definitely. But what's interesting is when the tech, the second like tech 2.0 after, you know, like the early 2000s, um, I think when all these IPOs happen and, and there's all these, you know, unicorns and these billion dollar valuations, um, retroactively, the tech industry is like, what about the community? You know, um, whereas the conversation that we're having in the cannabis space is happening at the very beginning of the industry. And there's different policy issues and social issues. Like we're talking about the war on drugs, whereas, you know, well, again, it could be the war on drugs too that limited access to education, right? To so you Thank can become you. an engineer. You got there. You got you know exactly I mean? where I was at. I know, I know. You, you know, and here. so yes, yes, very similar. And I think this is again, this is this is why it's so important that the work the hood incubator is doing in the future, right? Just eradicating all existing drug war policies, right? So we can advance racial and economic equality. Like that's the work. That's it. That's the work. We take out industries, whatever. Like but, this is just the work. I, I 
always want to encourage folks, especially folks in the cannabis industry, because I feel like when you put on a cape, when you start thinking your cap and save industry or, or whatever, you, you can get misguided. Yes. So I want to say that the cannabis industry has no more responsibility to being kind to its neighbor humans, say virus of the drug war, black humans, brown humans, the cannabis industry as a whole has no more responsibility to that than the finance industry and the tech industry yep. and the healthcare industry in which all those industries have, have, and you can say for if it's healthcare, you can say we all had, all of our people had indigenous cultures. We, we all knew how to take care of ourselves. We all knew how to go to the, to the, to the earth, grab some herbs. Cannabis isn't, isn't the only herb that can help, help heal us. Right. We yeah. all knew that, but what happened? They made a, they made an industry and, 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 and then the people who had that earth knowledge weren't allowed to come into that industry because now the rules, what was important has changed up. All I'm saying is that, is that, I think it hurts the cannabis industry when we think we're special, when mm. we think we owe yep. more to the world than our other people owe to the world. Yeah. No, you don't owe any more to the world than the other industries other than the world than to be good humans. I, I love that. And I appreciate that context. And especially, you know, that's perspective, right? Because yeah, going back and this conversation, this is great, Lenise, um, because what are we fighting for every day right and again i think in context let's expand the scope of this conversation too right like i think the hood incubator like obviously you guys are working in this space right now but y'all can be working in any industry you know, recently i've been thinking about we over here drug war survivors there's could, could work in almost any industry right if yeah. you want for course development but there's yeah. barriers so, for example, Cal State of California just passed a ban the box for um, like your professional type licenses. Right. So we could focus workforce development on getting drug war survivors jobs in the cannabis industry, but or you could also focus on getting drug war survivors some of those licenses for those jobs that they're blocked from, which is, uh, which is I'm going to say, a lower barrier to entry. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. For nonprofits, where it's also hard to raise money, it's it's gonna be hard to raise money for a, a, a workforce development program that that um, needs a whole bunch of 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 of, of equipment like your one you need real estate, you need a building, then you yeah. need your, your big equipment if you're doing extraction or anything manufacturing yeah. or your cultivation. You know what I'm saying so like there are different routes. Like we don't have to um, be so limited in the, to thinking that. We can only help people start businesses and get jobs in the cannabis industry. And the cannabis industry doesn't have to be so limited. I think that it can only have to help people in ways that race to the plant because the majority of the drug war survivors probably have nothing to do with, with cannabis right now. Yes. But if you understand what the drug war did in your cannabis company, then you know you can, you can help you know put money up for the campaign that's working to eradicate those 48,000 um, drug wars. You know, you know what I'm saying? So we're running yeah. out of time. And so I don't want to end this conversation before getting in the hot topic. I thought you just of, said you, you didn't want to just end the conversation. Like we just keep talking because we're having uh, this, uh, exactly all that, <laughs> both, both fan, both fan. Um, but I don't want to end the conversation before we definitely talk about, um, your home state, your homeland. Yes. What's going on? How I am talking about 
um, what's what's happening out there. Yeah, no, thank you, and and I appreciate you know before before um, I came on here, um, I was actually uh, talking to James Anthony. Mr. James Anthony, right? Uh, one of my mentors. Of, uh, yeah, he'll be on the, one of the, he'll be, he'll be, uh, he'll be on for an episode too. Oh, great, great, great. I have yeah. two Hawaiians. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I was born in, in Hawaii. Uh, I am part uh, native Hawaiian or Kanaka Maoli. And um, that's a big part of just who I am. So if, if you ever email me, and I, I hope, you know, if there's, if anyone who's listening, if you want to email me, I don't know why, but if you just want to talk to me, yeah, please email me. We'll, we'll put my contact information. But you'll receive an aloha. You'll receive a mahalo just because it's it's sort of like who I am. And I think my purpose is to share the spirit of aloha, right? Aloha is this concept that's so profound. It's in, in Native Hawaiians, aloha is the force in the universe that brings everything together, right? It's love, happiness. It can be sadness too. It can mean hello. It can be goodbye. It, it's anything, right? So, I'm 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 on this mission of aloha and just sharing aloha. So, just to add context to like you know who I am, but um, Hawaii is a beautiful place. I grew up there. Um, it's for those who have been there. It's you know, it's an island. There's strong natural ecosystems. Um, so, if you're in a tropical paradise, um, and you know, we are celebrating the plant. We're talking about the plant. It's almost like it's part. It was part of my upbringing to be uh, enthusiast of cannabis. You know, my first tape was Bob Marley. Kaya is my favorite album. The first song I got high to was Easy Skanking. You know, mm. like, and that was just part of Hawaii. Like, it's it enhanced nature. It enhanced our relationships. Hawaii is a very community oriented place, um, but like every other place there's and government there's a complex relationship between the plant and government and especially for hawaii where it was documented in the 19th century in hawaiian newspapers like olelo hawaii is the hawaiian language there was documentation in these uh, newspapers written in olelo hawaii of advertisements for marijuana as medicine or pakololo that's what we called it right the num like pakololo is like the numbing leaf um so it's it's part of the culture. It's part of the native Hawaiian or the Kanakamaoli's like you know framework around wellness. But mm-hmm. Hawaii got overthrown illegally by the United States, right? And with that came all these other regressive drug policies, which were racist, you know, and affected black communities in the United States, uh, Latino communities around drugs specifically cannabis and that got got applied to native hawaiians as well too so you fast forward to the 80s and there was what it was called operation green harvest and that was a coordinated effort amongst the state of hawaii and the federal government to eradicate all um, cannabis grows in hawaii right Um, with that people got denied access to their medicine and it could be argued that it led to harder drug usage in Hawaii. There's um, a big problem with methamphetamines and, and crystal meth in Hawaii. And they said during that operation, Green Harvest, that was around the time. Um, so fast forward, and Hawaii is a medical marijuana state right now. There's eight operators who are licensed, licensed operators, all vertically integrated. Not one operator is Hawaiian. 
I think mm-hmm. majority of all of them, they all come from outside of Hawaii. Majority of the workforce, you know, I would say on the higher level, um, aren't from Hawaii either. Um, so I, I actually have a working group with uh, Mr. James Anthony that we're looking at proposing a, a, a framework for legalization in Hawaii that's going to be focused on aloha aina or the love of the land, the love of the people. It's going to be focused on providing resources to Kanaka Maoli, the native Hawaiians, but also the legacy operators too, right? Um, how do we create a supply chain in Hawaii that is focused on legacy operators um, in anticipation of being able to export Hawaiian flour? So you not only have grown in Hawaii or made in Hawaii, but grown by Hawaiians, as well exactly right you know exactly and and that's interesting because hawaii has this cultural component and then we're seeing that amongst our native our native communities right in america too um we're seeing that you know they're building their own autonomous economies or indigenomics that's that's the concept right indigenomics right um focusing on native autonomous economies um so that's what we want to work on in hawaii uh again bringing this back to the people but it's everything that we're talking about, Lanise, you know, like everything the hood incubator is doing, right? How do we make this conversation um, about racial and economic equity? You know, there's no studies that have been really done around specifically um, cannabis offenses in Hawaii, but we know um, just through the Office of Ho- Hawaiian Affairs, that's OHA, um, there have been studies that show a higher rate of incarceration for Native Hawaiians around drug usage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can make assumption that some of that might be cannabis usage as well, too. Um, but again, you're you're creating this these regressive policies that are creating barriers for a specific community, in this case, the indigenous community, to participate in the larger economy. And now you're going to build this multi-billion dollar industry in the island and exclude the, the people who were there on the land first. It's 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 exactly the conversation we're having. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what, what my work in Hawaii is entailing right now. It's um, working with key stakeholders, got to work with the farmers, right? Of course. Got to work with the farmers. Uh, there's there's a strong um, co-op ecosystem out there. Um, we're engaging the operators too to see their willingness to participate in this. Um, working with the patients as well too, and just advocates. Um, and and James again, this is this is dope too because this is influenced. This work is influenced by the hood incubator um, because James um, James Anthony's participation in this. But we're doing all the same work that y'all are doing. If anything. Um, you know, it's influencing what we're doing because, again, this is all about how do we advance racial and economic equity for Kanaka Maoli in Hawaii. Exactly. And I can't wait to um, figure out how to support y'all. You know, like James, yeah. James is on our board. Um, he, he already knows, you know, full hood incubator, um, you know, 100% full support uh, behind you guys. So Mahalo. You, you need us to write a strongly opinionated letter. Uh, uh, we got you. I know you guys got the organizing down, um, um, but um, we want us to share any. I mean, James, you know, James on the board. He knows. He knows what we've been up to. So you know. But sure. like I said, we 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 here not just in spirit, but uh, uh, to to throw throw down. Um, respect, respect Lenny. Mahalo. Mahalo too. <laughs>
You, you don't say you don't say two after it's right. You just you say you say this is mahalo. My bad. Mahalo. Mahalo. No, no, that's good. Mahalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mahalo. All right, well, this has been a, a beautiful conversation. Yeah, just to remind you. you, folks out there in podcast land, you were just listening to High and Mighty, the podcast for your political pothead friend. My name is Lenise Martin, the host, and we were joined today by Richard Ng with Cookies and Backbone. This has been a great conversation. You never know where they're going to go, but this was m- m- really far. And I like the the historical historical lesson of, of, of Hawaiian politics. Uh, so thank you for that. And, and thank you uh, just for being you and your commitment to cannabis justice, Richard. Uh, mahalo, Lenise, and uh, shout out to the whole Hood Incubator community. Um, look forward to just supporting y'all and, and uh, enhancing capacity. But um, we're just starting on this journey. And um, yeah, here for the next five, 10 years, wherever y'all go, we'll be with y'all. That's what's up.